Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Hello and welcome to another cracking, exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, we've not had an episode uh, probably since August, um, which, which was um, an interview episode. But for this episode, joining me as always is Raisa, but also joining us is um, a brand new writer to SciFiPulse.net, uh, Ben Cassidy. So, you know, first off, Raisa, Ben, how are you guys doing? We're doing fine. Really good, thanks, you. How about you, mate? Oh, I'm good. I've, I've not had any COVID yet, so all still good in, in the land of, uh, land of Ian. Um, so today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, three shows, um, basically giving our reviews, our thoughts, and um, maybe a little bit of speculation for where lots might be going. Um, but we're going to kick off with a show called Barry, and then we're going to move on to Star Trek, and then we're going to move on to The Mandalorian. Now, The Barrier, neither Reese and I have seen, but Ben's been reviewing it on SciFiPulse.net. It's, um, it's actually a Spanish-made show, uh, which is currently airing on Netflix, so it's probably one that people people might want to look into, you know, if, if they like what Ben says about it. So, Ben, over to you. Um, yeah, the barrier. So, um, as all of our listeners and readers will know, that um, due to the pandemic, um, a massive amount of stuff was delayed in terms of production and episodes, um, and it wasn't easy finding new things to watch, let alone review. Um, and I happened to come across the barrier on Netflix, and... Um, for that reason, I've just explained. I thought there's nothing new sort of coming out at the moment. Everything's going to be a few months, you know, maybe some stuff in the new year even. Um, so I started watching the show knowing very little about it. Um, the Barriers um, set, story world is 2245, um, and it's 20, so it's 20 years, give or take, um, into the future. Um, it's set in Spain, and it's a dystopian future and um, you find out more about the world and about sort of how it came about as the series goes on. I strongly suspect you'll find out even more as um, we're only, I think, eight or nine, nine episodes into it. Mm-hmm. So um, what's it? It's, it's a dystopian show, yeah? It's, um, it's kind of like uh, about a world that's gone completely tits up. Well, it's really interesting, Ian, because um, all of the action is set in Spain. Part of the reason I think it's so refreshing to watch is um, because everything that we sort of watch probably has a very similar feel because it's either British or American, um, and this this doesn't have that feel. Um, the first few episodes, I sort of thought like um, the, I, there isn't been anything in it that would definitely go this is science fiction. However, um, what makes it so exciting is that. Um, the the reason that the society turned the way it did, or so we're being told, is due to a um, norovirus, um, which is another very dangerous virus, um, not related to the flu. 
influenza, like coronavirus. Um, I'm not 100% sure about the norovirus, but basically that's why this sort of martial law um, came in. So the science in it, which I think makes it really interesting and sort of quite scary, is there isn't any huge sort of like plot device or concept. And um, the things that you see are stuff like um, huge use of drones and things like that. Um, and that's what makes it realistic, I think, and that's what makes it sort of terrifying. Um, what What do you think of this uh, this this show, uh, Reese? Do you, it kind of sounds like something that you'd probably not be into. I'm, I've kind of I'd gone off of dystopian future storylines even before the pandemic, um, in large part because I find I find allegory kind of tedious at this point. Um, because because we've reached a point where the allegory is not far enough out to be separate in itself from what's going on in the world. Events are overtaking their fictional counterparts at a level that just makes allegory kind of pointless, at least for right now. And, or at least for, and for right now, being the last... 10 or 15 years or so. And so if that if that changes, I'll certainly start watching, you know, that kind of stuff again. But for right now, it's like being trapped in a giant echo chamber. What, what, and what, so I, what, what do you think about the idea of actually being, it's actually, it's a Spanish-produced show. So I think... I think that that's, that that is a, a very cool idea. Um, I remember one of the more interesting sci-fi shows I had seen um, in recent years was um, I, I'm blanking on the title of it, title of it now, but it was a Sliders variation out of, out of South Africa. Charlie uh, Charlie Jade Charlie Jade. It was it was airing on Sci-Fi Channel at oh, oh my God o'clock on Tuesday mornings. And it was out of South Africa, and it was the most uh, interesting sliders alternate world variation I'd seen in some time. So sometimes it, it really helps to get a different uh, geopolitical context going for these narratives. Best thing mm-hmm. for it. Okay, uh, Ben, do you, do, you, do you want to say anything else about the barrier before we move it on? Or? Definitely. I think, touching, I completely understand um, everything that Raiz is saying. And I agree that, um, you know, the world has definitely taken a sharp left, um, you know, for want of a, for, to use the term of the burning sort of Star Trek discovery. Um, <laughs> it's not for the better. Um, but just really, um, what I think is important to focus on is, um, with it being a Spanish-produced show, um, of course, like well into the 70s, um, Spain was, um, wasn't was a democracy, you know, uh, under the rule of Franco. Um, True. Spain was a dictatorship. And um, I think that that may, I think if, if we, you know, we would have, if we see things about, um, I don't know, World War One or World War Two, even though we weren't there, some of our grandparents or some friends or the narratives that we come across um, give us an understanding of that as part of our culture. Um, and so I think that that aspect of the show um, is something that's going to go over our head. We, we can't sort of quite grab onto that. Um, and I've sort of been reading a little bit about the history of it and stuff like that. And I think um, what the show's trying to do is show how quite quickly dictatorships can rise again, you know, and um, it's terrifying, I think, for that reason. Mm-hmm. That it's almost come full circle. It went from being a dystopia almost. I mean, again... I don't want to sort of um, say anything that anybody might deem cultural appropriation. I didn't live in Spain in the 70s. I don't know a great deal about the Spanish culture. 
Um, so I don't want to say it was a dystopia in the 70s. It will, it's at least the idea of a dictatorship to us, however it is in reality, mm. is completely um, dystopian. Um, so I think to really get this show, to make, maybe um, to understand it on a visceral level, it, it might be um, better if, if you were Spain, if you were Spanish, perhaps. Yeah, mm. it's, it's interesting because um, I remember when I was, when I was doing drama um, at, at Coggage, uh, we did a student exchange with Portugal where we went over to Portugal and performed a play and learned a bit of Portuguese and performed a play in Portuguese. And the, the Portuguese students came over to England, learned the same play, but learned it in English and performed it in English. And um, oh. as part of that exchange, um, we actually got a little bit of insight into Portugal. Portugal. And back in the 70s, um, Portugal was in a very similar situation to, to Spain. And they, they talked about how they had a resistance that sort of like communicated via music and song, which was, which was kind of fascinating. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the one, one, one experience I had in Portugal that I don't want to repeat is, uh, is, is uh, the consumption of raw pig's blood. You know? But the, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's right in what Ben says. Um, you know, we're, we, we're so rooted in our own Western sort of stuff. And yet Netflix, there's loads of shows on Netflix that are like The Barrier or similar that, that, that are coming from a different geopolitical sort of like point of view. And, it, you know, it, and it's just, it's, it's just, I think it's quite, quite fun that uh, we're, actually, we're actually covering one here and, we've, and, and Ben's been covering it for us on, on, on the website as well. Um, uh, yes. So um, do you want the final word on this one, Ben? Sure, yeah. Um, I think it's a show that I've really enjoyed and um, regardless of sort of not sort of having the cultural understanding um, because, you know, I'm sort of born and bred in, in this country, um, the way that the show looks is just, even if you don't watch it for anything else, it's just a tremendous experience to sort of watch it. Um, there's no over-egging of the pudding. Everything's really raw and um, the use of colour. Um, and that's so, if for no other reason, you sort of watch it. Um, I think that it's an absolute masterclass in how, for example, I think the, the best way to sum it up is what if you haven't remade 1984 of the series, that's how you would want the world to look. Because oh, okay. it's completely normal, but not normal at all. You know, there isn't sort of like flying cars. There's not sort of transporters, things like that. Even sort of like um, technology, sort of less magical, so to speak. Um, but that's, it's a very grim world and they use colour to sort of use colour really, really, really well to differentiate between the lower classes and the wealthy and the elite, the politicians and the people in power and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone that's sort of into cinematography or that aspect of stuff, I would say definitely check it out. Yeah, so it's basically what what what, what England's going to be like in five years' time after Brexit. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Um, that that's just sort of put put some some sort of like uh, fun, funny ironic spin on it. You know, if, if we're being properly proper cynical and pessimistic about things, um, ho- hopefully the hopefully the fact that Biden's taking over the White House in January that's going to change the uh, change change the narrative a bit um, for for us. Um, I think it already is a little bit. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, Star Trek Discovery started four weeks ago. We're up to episode four now. Um, Episode five is going to be airing on Friday, apparently. <laughs> um, 
So um, we, we, with that, it's uh, it's um, I'm liking it so far. It's gone it's gone to the future, and the fact that it's gone to the future and it's gone so far to the future to the thirty uh, first century, I think it is, or is it the thirty second? Um, they it's actually improved the uh, storytelling a hang of a lot because they're not as constrained by continuity as they were, uh, given that. Uh, they they chose to break pretty much every room of continuity straight out of the gate when 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 yes. they, when they were doing doing it as a as, as a prequel series. So I think anyone that came to Star Trek Discovery in that first year and gave up on it, um, they they should be able to come back to it in season three or maybe watch the ta- last few couple of episodes of season two and um, and and see it through a bit of a fresh perspective. Um, I think uh, I think it's actually been really really good so far. Um, Tingy Sting annoys the crap out of me, but you know, there's definitely a case for her to get a promotion in the next few few episodes, I think, because she's been an ensign two years now. And let's see some character development for her in terms of promotion. Um, and I would see more more of Dietmar, my storyline, and the um, and the navigator as well, because they 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 seem to get given short shrift when it comes to the characters in the cast sort of thing. But um, as far as Burnham and the rest, they've had pretty good storylines. Um, the the uh, the storyline surrounding the burn is is quite fascinating, as in you can kind of trace. Uh, hints and and uh, maybe maybe clues as to what inspired it uh, back in back in the um, back in Voyager and even go back as far as uh, the seventh season of TNG when they when they had a when they had to put a cap on warp warp travel because yes you know yes so it's uh, it's all it's all really really fascinating and um, I'll let you come in there Aisa so thank you yeah. I- the, the, what's interesting is I was reading some articles uh, from the producers of Modern Trek, the ones who produce all of the shows, were saying that they're trying to do an interconnected universe, that eventually Picard and and, uh, and Strange New Worlds and Discovery and Lower Decks will all connect up. And for you know, for for different uh, different levels of the of, of this one giant storyline that they're trying to do, which leads me to, if we go to Picard, um, if you if you read the prequel novel that um, that gives you the background of of the Romulan Sun going Nova, which we all and, have, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the, one of the subplots in that novel is the um, stellar cartographers coming to the realization that the supernova that destroyed the Romulan sun was actually artificially induced. Mm, which could have although, been... Although they, they haven't introduced that notion yet into the show proper, it's, it's there. It's mm. there for them to use when they're ready. And so if there's, a, if there's a corollary between the artificial inducement of the Romulan supernova and whatever ca- caused the burn, that could be one of the connection points. Another connection point, interestingly enough, and I'm going to let Ben come in after I finish saying this, um, was um, if you remember in the final season, of, in the final few episodes of Card, the android population on the planet that I went to, they were trying to reach out to an entity. Um, now, my my theory is that that entity that they were trying to reach out to, that almost got, got to them, but was, you know, closed off just in the nick of time. My theory is that entity was control, but trying to that come back work. from the far future. That could work. That could work. Over to you, Ben. Ben. <laughs> Wow, I mean, you and I have just discussed um, many possibilities and um, many theories and um, both agree that, you know, the show is much, much stronger and it feels like Star Trek should feel for us. Um, 
But yeah, wow, um, is it control? I think what I would say is um, I would be very surprised if there aren't going to be links between Picard and Discovery. Um, and I think perhaps the first couple of series of Discovery was sort of working things out. You know, um, it made a lot of mistakes. Um, I don't really want to spend too much time sort of talking about what I didn't like about those episodes because now that we've got this, I think we should sort of focus on it being, you know, the, sh- the show that we all love that's such a big part of our um, our lives again. Um, but absolutely, I do um, definitely feel that it's likely that they are going to link them and that I can't really see how they won't. Um, and I don't really think there's precedence for that. I mean, there are between like, you know, let's, let's section off Enterprise and then um, Enterprise and then TOS original series. Okay, I know yeah. in Enterprise there, there's a whole sort of Riker thing at, at the end of it. There was but, a very new... Um, to talk about the three shows that were made together, like to made in succession, um, TNG... Deep Space Nine and Voyager, although they did reference each other, and it was clear they were all in the same world, and even Riker, even Worf went into DS9, um, there wasn't sort of interaction, there wasn't, they didn't have, events weren't tied in to the point where the characters crossed over um, in the way that I think, I, I think they'll do something very different with Picard, and um, they'll do it consciously, I think, because these two series are running, they're both early as well, and I think that's different, isn't it? That mm. by the time um, DS9 was in its TMG, had what two seasons to go. By the time DS9 was in its second or third first season or something, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. there was a um, there was a little bit of a tie-in though. Um, with, with uh, between uh, TNG, DS9, and Voyager, as you say, there, there wasn't much as in in the way of character crossovers, but there were quite a few plot crossovers. Um, because the Maquis started on TNG, then it crossed yes. over to Voyager, and then it crossed over to DS9, and uh, you know. Plus there was um, plus there was uh, um, Dwight Schultz's character. Yeah, Barkley. Um, Barkley. Plus, he, was yeah. On, he was on all three shows, and he actually helped yeah, out for the well. way of Voyager. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, Marina Sirtis as well was, I think, was she in DS9 or maybe not? No. no, it was she was on she was on Voyager because of Barclay's interaction with getting them home at the end. And her so. and Riker also appeared in the final episode of Enterprise, uh, which yeah. was very That's controversial right. at the time because they were replaying a homodex simulation of the uh, signing of the uh, first part of the Federation Treaty or something. Um, mm. Yeah, I remember. It was, it was a, a big hullabaloo. Oh, it was, it was a horrible move because up until that point, Enterprise had had the perfect season. It was like, this, you, you know, I think had it been allowed to go for another year, it, it would have it been off. great. It would have been great, but, um, but unfortunately it wasn't. And, and, the, the, and this is what I'm hoping they're going to do with Strange New Worlds. They said with Strange New Worlds, when do Strange New Worlds, they're going to do it as a, a standalone episode. So I'm hoping they don't take that route. I think what they should do is they should do, they should look at the final season of Enterprise Prize and look at what they did there. Because basically in there, they did mini-arcs. They had sort of like um, the two episodes of them finishing up the Zindi subplot from, from season three. And then they had the uh, the three-episode arc uh, to do with Noonie and Sung and, and the replicants or, or the, um, the, the, the the enhanced humanoids. Um, and, then, and then they had the, um, the three-episode um, arc on Vulcan uh, to do with uh, Vulcans embracing the true teachings of Surat, which 
which had been abandoned and was somewhat controversial. And um, and they also had the, um, the 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 one about xenophobia about uh, that that sort of like business tycoon made by um, Peter Wenger, um, where where he's sort of like uh, trying to turn people against uh, aliens and stuff like that. Um, so the, oh, that's right, that's right. I can't remember the the, the exact because it's actually I've only ever seen Enterprise through maybe twice, and and the last time I watched the uh, series was about sort of like well, um, getting on for about fifteen years ago, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, they they, um, they they were doing some good stuff there, and you know I'm hoping that um, when they do Strange New Worlds, they maybe look at that model of doing sort of like mini arcs as opposed to one yeah. overall long episode arc. And I, and I I will say I am um, I'm not game to trash Discovery early seasons either, but I I will just say that I'm thankful for. Discovery's second season, if for no other reason than because we're getting Stranger Worlds out of it. Mm, so that's worth it in itself, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the best part about season two for me was Pike and Spot. Oh, but they're brilliant. Brilliant. Utterly brilliant. Yeah. Um, and um, Ben, you've just recently watched season two before going on to season three. What did you think of season two? Well, I mean, it was much. I enjoyed it much more than I felt I did first time round. I think um, I really struggled with the first season, um, and I think what worked well in season two, what they realised was that there wasn't a complete sort of tangle of plot lines. There was so much happening in season one that you were just like, right, okay, okay, and it's almost like they had to tidy it up. Um, to, they had to think of things sort of ways to sort of tidy it up. And there was so much information dumped but none of it was coherent that um, you struggled with it massively and you could really sort of see by the second series. Um, I don't think it was perfect. I had my issues with it. But it had one main sort of narrative arc um, in that that was the Red Angel, you know, and that was sort of their thing. And the um, spore drive, you just sort of like, that was established and that was fine. And there didn't need to be much about that. Um, I say that, there was also control and stuff. So that was the second one. But everything, I feel like in the first series, not all the events centred around one, there wasn't one overall story arc that everything centred around and everything came back to. Yeah, in the second series, I do think that it was there was nothing that was more important than than the Red Angel. You know, that was the, that was um, you felt like you knew where, where they were where they were going with it. Whereas you, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't get that impression in the first series. No, the I didn't either. Yeah. Sorry, Jason, please. Sorry, the first series, but they you just sort of they had training wheels on, and they were just trying to figure out if it would work at all. They weren't actually thinking about flow, about whether that any of it made sense. The problem also with the first series is they had too many cooks in the kitchen uh, because originally it was Brian Funger that was meant to be heading it up um, and it was Brian Funger's idea apparently to change the Klingons from what, what I've heard. Um, so bad, bad boy, bad boy. Yeah, um, yeah that was not good. And um, I think, uh, and and then then Kurtzman took it over, and uh, two other producers took it over. But they also had uh, quite a bit of interference from the studio coming down from from the top of the studio from Les Moons at the time as well. Which um, uh, and you know if that is the case, it really really showed with the first season um, a little bit with the second, but not to the same extent. Um, but what I liked about the second season leading in was uh, the way how the way we were shown all the connective tissue of the. Red Angel, you know, when 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 uh, Burnham had to retrace the steps of the Red Angel from from what what had been what 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 already been established in the earlier episodes, you know, when they retraced the route, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. 
I completely agree with you, Ian, and I think, um, whereas I'm not saying I think it was definitely this, in the first series, first season rather, it really did feel at times like they were writing it week to week and going on, making it up as they went along. Um, again, I'm not saying that did happen, but that's the impression that I have as a viewer. Whereas, like you just said, in the second series season, you know, you can't always know where everything's going, but, you know, in the, in the longer term, but at least in that season, it's got to feel tidy. And you really felt um, that the final episode of it tied everything up, you know, and there was there was um, a much better sort of structure to everything. And, and this season, it's much more tighter as well, because we, we had the opening episode, which established Burnham in the future, meeting Buck and uh, going through, you know, be, being a fish out of water in the future sort of thing. Uh, and then the second, I like the way they, 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 they structurally did it, where they, they, they did Burnham first, then they did the following week, they did the um, through a discovery arriving and um, and coming to terms with where they were and then they did the third episode where they brought those two together and the last episode on Trill was brilliant I, I really yes. the last episode for me uh, where, where they go to Trill and we find out that the hosts um, that, that were capable of carrying the Trill symbionts had been affected by the burn as well was was it was actually really well done, and I really like the deep dive into the into the culture of of of, of the um, of the of the trail and 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 the people there because we've not seen much of them. We've seen a little bit of it on on DS Nine when Dax went back um, to, yes. to, to to liaise with her other host sort of thing, but um, we've not you know we didn't we didn't really see too much of it after that sort of thing. So it was actually really really interesting and and fun. Although um, there, there is a there is actually a trans person, um, I, I think she's called Jessie or something. She has her own YouTube channel, and she was talking about um, the the representation of the trans character and the um, what, what the, the, the the character that doesn't really identify as either set sort of thing. And um, yeah, she's um, they're, they're gender fluid. Uh, Blue Del Barrio plays Adira. And she's and they're gender fluid. And she she's so. she's talking about um, them perhaps using the wrong pronouns. I mean, I don't really understand all the lingo in you know in in the trans community sort of thing um, because I'm not really politically involved and in, in in those circles. Although I do have have a couple of trans friends. Um, so, but you know, this this a uh, Jessie uh, person um, who has her own Star Trek channel on on YouTube. She's pretty good. Um, is in you know her content's pretty good and she, she brings up a lot of uh, interesting points and ideas um, but she was talking about the, I think she was talking about the character of Adira and saying that they, they, they may, may be in danger of just using wrong, the wrong pronouns on the series well, I think part of the problem is that Adira has not the the plan is for Adira to come out as gender fluid, and so because she had because they haven't done that yet, um, they they haven't established the correct pronouns that go with the process. Mm-hmm. So once so once they do that, um, they'll start using the right pronouns on screen. I suspect. Well, hopefully they will start using the right pronouns. <laughs> Because um, we don't know whether they'll use the right pronouns or not yet, because we haven't seen the episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's an interesting relationship that Adira has with the previous uh, host of of, of the uh, Tal Symbian that 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 she's now carrying. 
Um, Two things about that. Um, the first is that when the trailer introduced on Next Generation, um, there was that whole storyline about how Dr. Crusher had fallen for someone who needed to have the host transferred, and Riker became the host for a while. Mm-hmm. And then they established that humans don't initially make good hosts. You then you then move on to the fact that uh, Jadzia Dax's whole storyline was the fact that her that uh, Curzon Dax had actually been in love with her. And that's why he forced her initially out of the program um, because he, he realized he was going to have a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, and so Adira's storyline seems to combine elements of both. Basically. Yeah, and there's also, uh, there's also the, the fact that in the uh, episode and, and I'll let Ben, I think we'll get Ben come in after this because he actually reviewed the, the episode anyway. Uh, but in in the episode of TNG when they introduced the trills, uh, they 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 had the um, they had the part of uh, of of Crusher being in love with the with the initial host of 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 the um, of the trail, and it went on to Riker and the relationship sort of carried on a little bit because you know obviously Riker was male, but then the host was then 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 the, then the symbiont was transferred over into a female host, and, right. and Crusher because she was um because she she identified now as cisgendered as in as in insist female and straight um she couldn't really get over that hurdle of being involved and and i thought that i thought that episode back then was handled really really nicely it, um, was. it, it was. was it was it was handled very very sensitively um whereas now with this um you know um adira is going to be identifying as fluid gender yeah? gender fluid yes yes so, so now, uh, at least um, if if they do that right, it's going to educate a whole lot of people about about all the pronouns involved. Um, and ben, do you want to want to say anything about the episode because you reviewed it? So, sure, like the last episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I just want to sort of make a. Um, I will sort of talk about the last episode, but I think what you both touched on is really important and um i think also what i'd sort of like to um make known is that um i i um i sort of i would never like to speak on sort of behalf of a um you know a minority group i haven't had their experiences i don't know that um so everything i sort of say you know is coming from my experiences you know i'm fortunate to have never been sort of treated badly just because i i am you know being who i want to be um, but I do think, though, that um, what Raisa mentioned is a really important point, and I think that it will be about not only the character's journey of realizing their identity, perhaps, but also the others, also the other people in the show about their sort of acceptance of it and their journey. And I think that you know whatever else um, Discovery may have got wrong, it, it's been bang on with representation. You know, it, it really has, and I don't think that they will get that wrong at all. I do have confidence that. Every Everything that is being done is to have maximum impact to give so many people around the world um, representation and, and, you know, a really strong role model and and a um, character experience they can identify with. You know, I think it will be very well carefully planned and um, I feel safe that it it will be, you know, um, not only sensitively delivered, but really, really powerfully delivered. Yes, yes. You've got to remember sometimes that. So I think the last episode um, is is just a sort of taste of um, what's to come. I think mm-hmm. um, you know lots of things that I could say about the last episode. What I thought I thought it was a fantastic episode, but this specific aspect of it, um, that's my thoughts and feelings. Uh, um, they're in there for the long game, and um, you know they, they've given they've had the setup now, and now that they've set it up. 
um, you know, it will feature. It'll be a very important uh, and prominent storyline throughout the third season. I think. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. As a writer, I know you as a writer, Ben. You know, you probably got a big one out of this as well. But I, I thought the part. Because it was um, you you had an A and a B storyline in the episode, and they're running concurrently, and they're both pretty much about the same thing: adapting to change, adapting to you know um, a new environment and um, and new experiences. And I thought the scene at the dinner table where Giorgio does her haiku and and everyone follows on that that was a really funny scene. Yes. Yeah. And um, and and Ben is actually a poet. He does the uh, Made of Verse Be With You, which is um, on Sci-Fi Pulse on every Friday. Um, you know, you you probably appreciated that as well, didn't you, Ben? The uh, the haiku poetry. Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic touch, and I think that now that all, all the cast, uh, now that all the characters are really coming together and starting to develop, um, and now that they've got this new sort of thing, I think that was an important scene. I think that, you know, for a crew, for a show where, where unity and togetherness has always been the main thing about Discovery, um, there hasn't been those sort of same scenes of, of warmth and humanity that you had with like the original Triumvera of um, Spock, Kirk and um, Bones. And then, you know, there hasn't been, the family feels sort of been a bit forced at times and it seems more natural now. Well, I agree. Family feel, I wouldn't even say it's been forced at times. It's been non-existent until, um, until really. So like uh, it started coming together last year in the last season a little bit, uh, but was perhaps a bit overshadowed by the, uh, by, by the, by, by the uh, bike and spot story art. Um, but I think it is coming together now. We're actually seeing, seeing the links and, and the, the, and the familiar links, you know, with odd characters sort of thing. But I really do wish they'd develop Dietmar more and the uh, and, and and the the Black Navigator. I can't remember a name. I can never remember a name. But I think those two characters need more development. No, I think um, I couldn't agree more. Ian. I think that um, you know, if we're going to end up having you know six or seven seasons, which seven is the traditional number, isn't it, for um, the last of the Enterprise? You know, TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager had seven. Um, we're going to have to hear about those characters. And I think that, you know, you can't get to like the fifth, sixth season and then go, oh, we've forgotten about them. You've really got to start weighing the groundwork now, which hopefully um, the article I wrote about Detmer this week, I gave a few um, scenarios that might sort of bring her character into it more. Um, so I, I think slowly they are starting to get, you know, starting to get everything right. So I think we probably will start to see um, more of the characters um, that we haven't seen. Linus is one that I'd like to see more of. I'll leave that with you two to see what you think about Linus, the yeah. fish dude. Yeah, um, he's, he's darling. I hope we get more with him. Um, just a point of clarification from articles I've read, um, and this makes sense to me, because Sir Patrick Stewart is getting up there, um, they only planned three seasons for Picard. Yeah, I can I can see that I can see that being you know being the case. But that said, there's no no reason why they couldn't spin off from Picard as I've got you know no, introduced no. characters. They've introduced characters there that that could be developed quite well to be a spin off from Picard and and then then maybe spin it off and have have Sir Patrick um, occasionally pop in as a guest star. Yeah, they could yeah. do that. Although the plan the plan was formulated pre COVID, so. We all know what it's going to be now, um, given given the fact that he is eighty, that we are dealing with a with a pandemic. Uh, they're probably not going to let him out of sequestering until there's a vaccine. Um, mm. They 
they can't risk having their leading man, their their knighted leading man, drop from a, a disease like that. So they have to be very, very careful, um, considering that it, it aims particularly at the aged. Um, so they may not get a full three seasons from this. It may be more like two. But even if they have to truncate it and only give us two, I could live with that under the circumstances. But so could I. I mean, you know, to be honest, you know, Picard came in from a lot of criticism from fans, and it, you know, apparently it didn't do well on on, on Amazon at all. It didn't didn't get as many viewers as they were hoping it would. Um, and the claiming, these various people claiming it didn't do as well as CBS CBS on Access was hoping it'd do either. But you know, there's so much uh, there's so much conjecture conjecture out there, and and the fact of the matter is, you know, Amazon don't don't make their make their ratings known publicly neither did netflix you know no, so no. There's, there's, there's no way to to prove or disprove what 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 what, what many of the naysayers are saying but one of the things that they they were unhappy with about picard was was the uh the dark turn of the of, of, of the plot um and and the fact that um it was no longer as optimistic as as um as tng was uh, but one of the bigger criticisms, and I can actually relate to this one and and uh, and, and see what they're getting at, was that um, all throughout TNG, Picard was going on about Earth being a utopia. You know, there's no such thing as money anymore. There's no such thing as as the um, as the acquisition of stuff. You know, it's no no longer a capitalist driven society. And yet, you know, in in the world of uh, Picard, it seems it seems to have gone back. To a sort of capitalist-driven society of sorts, because um, you know when we're introduced to Raffi in in the series, she's living in she's living in a trailer in the middle of a bloody desert. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Where, that, was, whereas, that was one of the issues I had. It's like, why would she be so marginal? Yeah. There's there, there, there's there's no there's no economy to be outside of anymore. Where, whereas Picard was living in um living in the vineyard still. Um, also, the, uh, the the smoking of cigars and cigarettes. Um, you know, you'd think they'd have a vaccine for smokers, but but that said, they they did have seen of um, of people vaping in Star Trek Three in in, in, the, in the bar sort of sort of thing, and and, and there have been other alien cultures like there's that alien culture where where it looks like he's vaping, but it's actually the way that they breathe. They have to breathe through through an apparatus or something. Um, but that that was a that was one one of the big things in. In Picard, I think they got wrong that that that, that a, lot, a lot of the critics of the show are actually um, are actually bang on about. To be honest, what was that? Um, what was the fact that Raffi seemed so marginalised, living in a trailer in the middle of nowhere, and and um, and, uh, and and the characters uh, were being dark. But I think, to be honest, the the critics, by the same token, really should have read the book and they should have. and and the pre. Yeah. The, the prequel material because if they'd read the prequel material to you know in in the comic book and and the actual novel they they would have gotten a better better appreciation for where where Picard was going sort of thing but they just basically putting it all down to Patrick Stewart and his woke politics and stuff like that um, but to be honest, I just think you know. Whereas, can see a lot of the points that they say is trying to make. There's, there's many other points that are, that 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 are making that just completely fall flat on their ass. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to I say anything that, about Picard, Ben. Quickly. I think um, just before we have, move on to Mandalorian, because I think we should before yeah. we run out of time. Absolutely, um, yeah. <laughs> I think what I'd like to say about Picard is, um, you know, there's always that sort of thing of like perhaps a lot of people haven't read. 
the um, tying stuff because they, they get cynical and they just think, yeah, yeah, it's just a money spinner, this, that and the other. But um, the name of the author of the card, The Last Best Hope, will come to me in a minute. But um, I spoke with her, as you know, I interviewed her. I read the book and um, whereas in that book I sort of wanted more action it was a fantastic book in terms of the way it was a very cerebral book and it really gave you so many people's sort of emotional perspectives and psychological perspectives um, you know I haven't read sort of loads of other of the tie-in stuff or the comics and everything like that but I would say that if you struggled with Picard, to read that and then go and watch the series again, and I would imagine you'll get more from it. Mm. Yes, and agreed. the author of the book was Una McCormick. That was it. Una <laughs> McCormick, yeah, yeah. A friend of uh, Sci-Fi Pulse who, um, you know, perhaps at some point um, may appear on, the, on this podcast here, you know? Yeah, we, we may bring her on. Um, so um, I think you know Star Trek we can go on about it forever we can go down all sorts of dark alleyways and, and um, little nooks and crannies within the Star Trek universe uh, because it's something that uh, Raisa and me and you have had conversations about Trek in the past and certainly me and Ben have over the last year we've been swapping ideas back and forth on on, uh, on Facebook and, um, and pretty much everywhere else um, but now it's time for the Mandalorian, which is part of a, the, another great universe called the Star Wars universe, as we all know. Um, and I'm loving the Mandalorian so far. It's, it's, it's sort of like it's got the feel of, uh, of the original Star Wars movie in terms of it's um, a Western in space. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, and Pedro Pascal, who I didn't know anything about prior to Game of Thrones, um, is has a fan in me now because he is between Game of Thrones and Mandalorian. He is doing some heavy lifting, mm-hmm. and it's uh, he's really really effective in this role. And well, you know, the fantastic um, show. Yeah, bring your show. End of no, sorry. <laughs> um. No, um, I think. Two things that I sort of would like to say about The Mandalorian. First of all, before I say those, it's an amazing show. It's tight. Um, it's brilliant. For pure escapism, um, it's up there. The writing is phenomenal. Um, but something I wanted to sort of mention, and I think now might be a good point to um, sort of voice this, um, all of these shows, you know, Picard, Discovery, and Mandalorian, um, they are all sort of realising that Utopia is over for us. You know, um, the Star Trek in both, like, the, the original trilogy of Star Trek, Star Wars films, committed a cardinal sin there of mixing them up. Sorry, fans. Um, the original trilogy of movies, and, you know, where was the, the word drama intentions? It was mostly utopic, um, because things were easier then, you know, like, things were better, the world was better. Um, and they're really sort of realising that, that to tell, to expand the story, they've really got to sort of like think about connotations of it. Um, like you said, you know, the similarities between Federation and um, what it's become in Picard. But, but then, you know, Star Wars originally was really goodies versus baddies. Yeah, we've got an evil empire, but it's like, what happens next? Mm. You know, there's all these power vacuums and stuff like that. And um, that's what makes it so good, I think, is really well conceived and interesting to think of what would happen in these worlds now, don't, I don't think it's because utopia is over now uh, because I don't think we actually really ever had a utopia to begin with I think it's because yeah. I think what it is is the you know storytelling um, over the past 20 30 years as as come on a hang of a lot more um you know they you know perhaps back when they made star wars were only really an outer to like you know give black and white characters good guys and bad guys they weren't allowed to sort of like have um, more morally ambiguous characters in there 
um, back when Star Wars was made, um, you know, homosexuals and, and, and the gay community didn't have as strong of a, of a public voice um, um, and political movement as they do now, um, you know, because it was very much suppressed, um, you know, as, as was we didn't really see as many black faces on television shows and, and movies back back in the day. So, therefore, um, you know, issues surrounding things such as Black Lives Matter and stuff like that, um, you know, weren't even in, 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 the, uh, in the social conversation back then. Although we did True, because, I mean, Billy D. Williams was an event. Yeah, because, you, we know. Did, you know, Roots back then was an event, you know. Roots was a huge, huge event. Yeah. And it was, uh, but, you know, I think... To be honest, uh, in 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 the days when they were making TNG and Toss and and um, and, and Voyager, um, they were still having to find ways to subtly weave the storylines in. Um, you know, subtly weave um, a storyline about, um, like for example, the the episode of TNG where Riker falls in love with a um, with, with 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 a with a young woman who's actually the third part of of of, of another relationship. She's Kind of like the submissive to, to two higher ups in 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 the relationship of of um of this other culture um, uh. where where they they had the um they had the male female traditional sort of male female you know relationship but they also had a third third part of it where where that third person was kind of like submissive to what what the other two's whims were or something I can't remember exactly but she didn't identify as a as as a male or female I don't think in the episode and 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 she falls in love with Ryan and it causes all sorts of trouble with their, their society and stuff like that. I think I think it was an early, I think that was an early attempt to sort of like talk about gender gender fluidity sort of thing on, on, on the series. And you know they they, they they couldn't do that as out in the open back then as they can now. So you know and uh, you know to discuss all these things in Star Trek, and that's what made Star Trek so good back then was that like, he found a way to have those discussions. You know that. We couldn't have back then. Whereas yeah, now we yeah. can have those discussions, so Definitely. we can actually show more. We can actually do more with, you know, the writing can do more of it. And I think I think that's a big change. And I think there's a lot of people that see see TNG and and uh, and that through rose tainted spectacles. Um, they they kind yeah. of not realise that you know, twenty thirty years has passed since. <laughs> Those shows were made, and 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 things have evolved. Things have changed. Uh, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. We don't know. That that that's a good yeah. thing about it. You know, there are always possibilities. But back back onto the Mandalorian. I'm I'm just loving it. I'm loving how they're tying uh, a lot of stuff into in, in, into it from from the uh, Star Wars expanded universe as well as yes, um, I have to say yeah. from the, from this last episode, just from an internal logic perspective. She's a frog lady, and they're escaping the, the, the oncoming spiders, and she actually starts hopping to get it to get ahead of it. It's like, hello, internal logic. A frog lady would hop. Thank you. And uh, I really appreciated that. You know, that, that whole sequence just made, made me happy. Well, those spiders, they, they, they kind of made an appearance in Rebels. And um, I think I think this was sort of like tipping the hat to uh, what's going to happen in the next episode, episode five, which airs this week. Um, and obviously we'll revisit episode five and, in, in, you know, on the next show, maybe. Um, 
But the um, the, the, the those spiders are in an episode of Rebels where Sabine Wren was taken on it. I think that was kind of like a tip of the hat to say that Sabine Wren's probably going to be in the next episode. Ah, cool. Um, the, the, there's also another connection. In it. Do you know? Have you know? You know, it's a woman with the black hood in the trailer, right? Ah, uh, vaguely, yeah. Okay, well, a lot of people think that that may be Sabine Wren. Um, she's an lady wrestling that plays a part. I can't remember her name. But a lot of people think that may be Sabine Wren. But there's actually a new theory going around at the moment that it could potentially be an Inquisitor uh, from, okay. from, from, from the Rebel storyline. And the Inquisitors, Ben, I don't... Because you're not familiar with the expanded universe. The, the Inquisitors were in Rebels and were like a... Agents of the Emperor, and they had Jedi powers. They were sort of like a dark Sith, a bit like the First Order in in, in the new Star Wars movies. They were, they were, they were dark Siths, and um, they they helped hunt down the rest of the Jedi. I think um, something that's interesting is um, to sort of relate the point you were making about um, aspects of representation and sort of really sort of considering those and making them better. I think a really important one is, as much as it's sort of like, you know, I'm un- unashamedly will say, I love Han Solo, you know, he's one of my favourite characters. He's a very sort of one-dimensional, you know, masculine guy. But look at the role of the Mandalorian. You know, he- he's a sort of essentially a samurai in, you know, the- a different interpretation of that. But that's not sort of the basis, I think, for the Mandalorians. But he's in the role of a mother, you know, and it's sort mm. of, um, I can't think of too many other things that, that deal with um, aspects of masculinity in the way that the Mandalorian does. And it's so subtle, um, but it's there undeniably, you know, that's the main, um, you know, I think that's the overarching narrative of it. Um, you know, the part where, um, you know, he's sort of still playing on the bravado when um, IG-11 dies, um, you know, he sort of says, I've analysed your voice and I can see you're sad. Um, and just before I hand over to one of you guys, uh, if there's one thing that nails why that show is so good, it's because fought in and were devastated about IG-11 and they'd only brought him back the episode before. That's how good the characters are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought the uh, I thought the little subplot of baby of a uh, baby older or the child, as as we're supposed to call it, call her, call him. Or her, we don't we don't even know what sets the uh, the the baby thing is yet. Um, well, if you're, if you're going with the expanded universe, I I don't really watch the expanded universe, but I saw pictures of some of the other Yoda in the, the expanded universe video games, and the girl ones have hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm I'm thinking that this is a, this is they're treating him like a boy Yoda. Probably male then. So um, I, I love yeah. the, I love the fact that he was stealing in the uh, stealing in the frog lady's eggs. I just got, I just I was laughing my butt off at that. And um, it's funny because I posted the uh, the review on the Facebook group that we have, and uh, and Robin Robin Brownfield, who, who used to write for the site a long time ago. Uh, commented saying bad Yoda bad Yoda and I just I just chimed in and said well it's the parents I blame <laughs> you know parents told, <laughs> his parents told him that, that eggs were good for him obviously and he took that to heart so I, I blame it on the parenting <laughs> <laughs> but it's just um, I thought I thought that was a nice touch cause that, because babies do kind of eat everything <laughs> Or try to eat everything. So it's actually really, really cute. Um, but moving on to some more of the expanded stuff, I think I think we're going to see Ahsoka in the next episode, Ahsoka Tana, uh, who was uh, basically, she was uh, the Padwan of um, a certain Anakin Skywalker before he turned into Darth Vader. Um, cool. 
But she, oh. left, she left a Jedi Order. She's no longer a Jedi, but she does have Force-sensitive powers sort of thing. Um, and um, in, in, the, um, in the Clone Wars, she was known as Agent Fulcrum. She helped helped in the uh, you know in in rebels. She helped with the with the uh, with, with the campaign to get the Death Star plans and all that. So, awesome, awesome. So she's she's another one of those uh, characters. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing her seeing seeing her realised because you know it's one damn sexy actress that's playing playing Ahsoka. Cool, cool. <laughs> um, it's my it's my little crush. I, um, Ahsoka. Sorry. I will allow myself to um, discuss the character. Admittedly, you know, Star Trek, if you ask me about that, you know, I can sort of talk all day about it. Star Wars Expanded Universe, not so much. But I did watch the um, the video you very sent, kindly sent me about the character, um, which gave her background and sort of like her being had one to Anakin and stuff like that. And she was a very, very, very interesting character. You know, she, she is. And, and, the, and the thing about her is, and this is this was a problem with the uh, with the sequel trilogy that they've just finished with uh, with Rey. Um, the the character evolution of Rey was not very nuanced. We're introduced to Rey and she's already got the ability to... Admittedly, she gets it wrong the first time, but she's got the ability to make stormtroopers do what she wants them to do. You know, as in she pulls the Obi-Wan mind trick on them and uh, gets them to sort of like uh, bugger off so she can escape sort of thing. Now, you know, Luke Skywalker, it took him three movies to get to that level. <laughs> and she got to that level in, she got to that level in one movie. And, you know... Whereas Ahsoka Tano, uh, she had a similar, journey, very similar journey to New Skywalker, and she messed up, and she messed up several times during the series. And to be honest, be honest, when she was introduced as a character in Rebels, she annoyed the crap out of me. I hated her, but. Then, you know, somewhere along the line, about halfway through the first season, I begin, began to sort of like uh, get what they were doing with her, you know, as in, you know, her, her character evolution was, you know, so, so good. And um, and she's basing an example of how they should have done Rey in the, in the Star Wars yes. sequel movies you now. And I'm just looking forward to seeing her realised on, on the screen, you know. It's, it's going, to, going to be what, good. What, I, what, I, what I've realised about about modern Star Trek is that the, the two... Modern trilogies should not have been film trilogies. They should have been limited streaming service shows. That they had given them more more scope and the the length of streaming seasons, and given these some of these ideas time to actually breathe. I don't think we'd be complaining about the about modern Star Wars in quite the way that we are now. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's right. I think it, I, I agree with that. I think it. Um, you know, even if the films were much better than, in my opinion, they were. Um, you know, the last trilogy, I still don't know if you would have had enough time to um, actually build things. I mean, if, if, for my money, the, the best modern start is, is um, Rogue One, without a doubt, and that's because mm. it's self-contained, which is the opposite of your saying where you see Rogue Yeah, I mean, Rogue One, you know, was good because it was self-contained, but it was also good because you could actually watch it before A New Hope, and it makes sense. <laughs> yes, um, yes. And, and you know, um, but also the the nice thing about Rogue One is um, Rebels actually did 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 did, did a little bit of groundwork um, after the fact tie tie in events to Rogue One. You know, um, you know the bit where they're all going to the ships in Rogue One and they're going on they're going on mission and and uh, you hear you hear someone called General Hera referenced. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she's from Rebels. She was actually the uh, pilot in Rebels and, and cool. one, one, one of the leaders of the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> yeah, 
So, you know, you, you never actually see her on screen, but you see her. And just as the same, you also see the uh, the, ro- the, the robot uh, from from Rebels on on screen very briefly um, as as they go as they're going to going to the you know going to on the Death Star mission in in Rogue One. So, you know, it was they, they had a few nice, very subtle tie-ins there. Um, they did, and I. And I did. I did appreciate just because just because her death was so sudden. Um, Leia's final arc in the final film wasn't perfect by any stretch, but it was a lot more coherent than I was expecting it to be, given how sudden her death was and what they had to do to sort of jerry rig her final storyline. Um, they they did put as much effort into it as they could under the circumstances, which was uh, more than I was expecting. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, anyone want to say anything else about Mandalorian? Oh, yes. Um, I think it, like it's just so impressive how they've nailed it, how they've taken this story world and all the bits that were suggested. You know, like you know, it's literally like if you look at the melting pot that was the bar scene. You know, you know that sort of epitomised the expanded universe of Star Wars for me. That's, that, that that you know you really didn't know anything about, and and now it's just it's drawing on all these things, mm. um, and it's yeah, it's just it's just nailing it. You know, it's absolutely sort of you know massive as you know I like lifelong Star Trek fan and all that but it just kicked 10 bells out of um, Discovery you know maybe Discovery's catching up now in season 3 but, That's true. Um, but it's also it's also what it's doing which I think Disney and maybe it's important to mention this is it's it's really, really, really catching new fans, you know. Yeah, and uh, still pissing off old fans somehow. <laughs> I don't, I don't think the Mandalorian's quite as a uh, quite quite as quite as big a bugbear for them as the uh, Star Wars sequel trilogy was. Um, but talking about the expanded universe, I want to drop this in before we go. Was um, the opening episode where Mando meets that bounty hunter that's been been using Boba Fett's armor? I can't remember the bounty hunter's name off the top of my head. But, yeah, it's Cobb. I think uh, it is Cobb. Cobb. Cobb Bamford, I think it was. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's. Um, they've actually taken him from. Um, they they did a, they did a seek they did a free trilogy of books that took place between the end of Empire, the end of a Return Jedi and the beginning of um, of Force Awakens. Yeah. Now Cobb uh-huh. ba- Bamford is a character that was in three chapters of the second book in that series, I think, and uh, they they kind of redid his arc a little bit for the, for the purposes of television. So that art you've seen on the uh, on the television was sort of like borrowed a little bit from the books and the characters from 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 that second wow. second second part oh, of that trilogy of books. Cool. Um, but I only just found that out the other day, <laughs> and I'm no I'm no expert on Star Wars. I just go to all the YouTube channels like like everyone else and. Uh, go from memory about what I've remembered from, from watching Rebels and, and also uh, the Clone Wars series. Um, but for me, the Clone Wars series still the best animated series that they did at Star Wars. It actually made it actually made sense of the uh, of the Clone Wars trilogy, which I hated. <laughs> you know, I think I think the animated show was actually better than the tri- than the Clone Wars trilogy movies. Um, the the only justification for the Clone Wars trilogy was um of movies was the the um, lightsaber fight between Count Dooku and Yoda. Mm. That was the only that was the only justification for it. I mean, that, that rocked, but that said, I thought the lightsaber duel between um, Anakin and Obi Wan at the end of the uh, third movie was good. Yeah, it was really that was, good. That was epic. Yeah. 
Um, but, yeah. Just um, sorry. Just to just to throw it in there while we're, while we're um, sort of trash talking the original, the you know Millennium trilogy. Um, a point of interest is um, I've ne- I just never got over how little Darth Maul was in it. Um, I was working then at the time in um, the shop called Index, which is like Argos, you know. I remember Index, yeah. Yeah. But um, I was working in the stock room, so we saw all the new merchandise coming in. There was an excitement. I was, what, 16, 17 at the time, 1999. Um, all this stuff coming in. And Darth Maul was over all the packaging, over everything, on every packaging was just this red dude. And he thought, wow, that is seriously cool. And then when it came down to the movie, you know, yes, there were some great scenes in it, but they weren't enough. Yeah, they bought him back for the uh, for, for Clone Wars, and um, and they also had him in Rebels as well. Um, and Solo was in Solo as well, only briefly. Yeah, right, right in, in the final scene of Solo. <laughs> I suspect yeah. I suspect it's because they had Ray Park as Darth Maul, and the and part of his part of his financial compensation probably was making sure his image was on merchandise, even if he wasn't in all as much of the film as they would have liked. Yeah. So. yeah. It's, um, well, on that note, I think we'll end this uh, episode. Uh, and the next episode we're going to do is uh, going to be um, a special Christmas episode one, but I think we're going to have to cram a little bit of a. A little bit of Mandalorian and Star Trek stuff in that episode as well. Um, so, so we've at least got something to, you know, go out on in the break. Um, so sure, we'll find a way. I think to you two and to everybody, I will say, may the force be with you and live long and prosper. Awesome. Yeah. Same Pe- to you. Peace and long life. I'll be heading later.